Uh, we can wish, maybe wish you a Merry Christmas again, since we are, you know, obviously still uh, decorated for the occasion. Uh, they're not taking the Christmas tree till next week, so we thought, eh, you know, let's uh, keep celebrating it. Also for Steph, because she would probably have this thing here till February, as I understand it. Um, yeah, and I just want to say, yeah, as in kind of with uh, what Hannah was saying, that I, I want to wish you guys a genuine, the, have a genuine hope for what's coming in this next year, and uh, that we can all kind of hope together that things get better, that things improve. Uh, before we get into the message for today, um, I'm looking around, Some I can't, actually I don't recognize most of you, it's hard to recognize people from this distance with masks on. Uh, but we've been, we were in Daniel uh, going back before Christmas, and so I kind of want to just rip off a bit of a band-aid here before we get into today's message, because uh, if you were anticipating getting back into Daniel and you were excited about it, uh, unfortunately, you'll have to wait a little bit longer. Um, we will not be getting back into Daniel right now, and we did the first six chapters of Daniel, and uh, I hope to finish the series later this year. I'm not sure exactly when yet, but for now, I'm going to put it on hold. I know, sad. Yeah. And really, I, I was looking forward to getting into the second half of Daniel as well and uh, spending some time, you know, just kind of, yeah, looking at all these prophecies and, and I think there's some really cool things in there. And certainly there's some practical things in there as well, but after praying and thinking about it over the Christmas break, I think we need to start this year off with something a little bit more on the ground, a little bit more practical, kind of a meat and potatoes, as we say, at least in Texas. Uh, or where the rubber meets the road, and so, and something that's going to be encouraging us and hopefully helping us to prepare for the coming year and just for our lives in general and as in our Christian walk. And so, starting next week, we'll, beginning, we'll be beginning a series on the fruit of the Spirit as, we, as it's described in Galatians. So that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And... We're going to be looking at each of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit and looking at their meaning. What does it mean to love? What does it mean when we talk about a fruit of the Spirit of kindness, of goodness, of peace, of patience? And we're also going to look at their application. How does that actually look in my life? How do I actually apply this? And so uh, I hope that you guys can be getting excited about that. Uh, we're not going to do them in the order that they're given. And in fact, actually next week, I'm going to start off with self-control, uh, a really... Uh, a good one, I think, for the beginning of the year. And uh, so, yeah, everybody's got maybe New Year's resolutions and stuff, so let's, uh, we'll talk about how we can rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the strength for those things. Uh, today, though, being our very first service of 2021, I want to kind of start off before we get into that. This is going to be really connected with what we're going to be getting into. So, uh, today, it's gonna, there's going to be maybe a disconnect from like the real practical, practical stuff, but I want to be kind of building a base before we get to, okay, how does self-control, how does patience, how does peace look in my life? We need to have a good, solid foundation to build on. And so I want to give you that today, and I want to incur, I'm hoping that this will be something you can cling to, to encourage you in whatever may be coming in the coming year, a hope and a strength, something we really need, we desperately need uh, always. Uh, but maybe now more than at other times we've experienced before. 2020 has stretched us, many of us in different ways for sure. 
but it's challenged us. It's pushed us in ways that maybe we weren't ready for. Certainly coming, going back a year from today, if we looked back at, as we ended 2019 and headed into 2020, there was definitely nobody was anticipating exactly what all would unfold this year. It's definitely threw us, threw us some curveballs along the way. And so it's a little bit, it's rational to be skeptical. I know we want to be hopeful, but it's, it's rational to be skeptical about what this coming year might bring, what it might look like. And it seems like the world didn't kind of get the memo. You know, in a new year, you have this certain feeling when you come into a new year. You know, but it, we all woke up on January 1st and we we're still in lockdown. Corona cases still increasing. And coming from the States, I, I look over in that direction and it's, yeah, it's, it's hard not to be a bit anxious and fearful with all the political unrest and division that's happening over there and all over the world, no matter which direction we look, there seems to be chaos all around us. So it's kind of this feeling of, can't we just leave that all behind us and start a new year? Start fresh? Come on, let's get rid of that. And bringing it closer to home, looking back at this year, and it's, it's been challenging in a lot of ways, in, again, in ways we didn't maybe expect. And the, the isolation, I think, plays a huge factor. I know uh, for me, it was, it was, it's weird to not be able to connect with people, to be able to hang out with people. I mean, even here in the service afterwards, man, I miss just hanging out at the back, having snacks and talking. And I mean, we used to, it used to go on and on. And I miss that. I miss that connection. And, and that's kind of brought into our, our personal lives. It, it can lead to loneliness, fear, Certainly, this has been a year of a lot of, uh, of temptation with how we manage our time, what we watch, what we click on when we're just, what do I do but just sit and, and stare at my computer all day? It's been a difficult year. And so I'm excited to be getting into the fruit of the Spirit in the next few weeks to be talking about practically how do we, how do we deal with that? But in the past few weeks and the, throughout this year, in many conversations that I've had with people, some of you, I get this kind of similar struggle that I hear again and again. Of, I, I just feel stuck. I feel like my relationship with God is not really developing. I'm, I don't spend the time with Him that I want to. I'm not praying like I want to. I, I, I want to want to, but there seems to be some kind of disconnect. I'm not reading the Bible like I want to. And I'm wasting so much time I want my relationship with God to grow, to be better. I want to serve Him more. I want to be more passionate in how I serve Him. I want to have discipline in my life. I want to be used by God. But I feel stuck. Anybody? Some of you? And I've been there. This year has definitely brought me to that place. So I want to look at, before we get into the weeks to come and kind of the practical things, Let's get back to this foundation. Because 2020 has brought us out of our comfort zones, right? It's, it's changed the dynamic of our life, changed the dynamic of, of how we do church, how we interact, how we do small groups, and it's, it's affected us. We're out of our normal routines, nor our normal Christian routines. And, and I speak for myself as well. This has challenged us, and I think it's, it it's certainly challenged me, to define the root, the foundation of our faith. What are we building on? Because when things start to get shaken and things start to get twisted, we have to ask ourselves, what is the foundation that you build your relationship with God on? What is the foundation? As we go through this message today, I'd encourage you to be thinking about that. Because if you don't know, if you don't have a solid foundation, how can you possibly build on it? What are you building on? 
And maybe you do, did have a foundation or you, you kind of, you, you know, and obviously we want to build our foundation on Christ and Christ alone. But if we begin to distance ourselves from that in the practical and how we actually live our lives, as soon as our situation changes in ways that maybe we weren't ready for, we have no basis to fall back on. We're too far from the foundation. We, we, don't, we fall through the floor. The floor that we've built for ourselves can no longer support us. If, our, if the foundation of our relationship with God is based on simply on relationships with other people or our routines, the way that we kind of live our life every day, or good works or serving in church, these are all really great things. These are important things to have in your life. We need these. We'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. But it can't be the bottom, it can't be the foundation. If those things are the foundation and the situation changes where you can no longer rely on those things or no longer see those things the way that you normally would, they cannot support your faith. And then what happens? You fall through the floor and you get stuck and you feel stuck and you feel like there's no movement. So what is the foundation of your relationship with God? What is the foundation of your relationship with God? And I would encourage you, if you're a note taker, write that down and take time this week and actually evaluate your life, evaluate your faith, evaluate the way you live your life with, before God. And what is the foundation? What is the core of what you believe and why you believe it? And let me give you today a tool and a truth that no matter how well your relationship with God is going or how much you're struggling at both ends of the spectrum, with this truth, there's always more hope, more encouragement, more strength, more power to be gotten. Making this a great and powerful tool to always keep close to your heart so that you would stay rightly oriented toward God. When I say rightly oriented, I mean putting yourself in the right position where you cannot fall to, the, to one side or the other because you're built firmly on a good foundation in how you're oriented with your relationship to God so that you then may be best positioned to be used by Him greatly and to bring glory to His name. Now the truth, the tool that I'm speaking of in a word is grace. Grace. Now, before you disconnect and think, ah, uh, there's nothing new I need to hear about grace, hold on. Stay with me. Because the right understanding of grace, the right understanding of grace is the most powerful tool to sharpen you, to prepare you to be most mightily used by God to see your passion to serve Him, to love Him, to seek Him with all of your mind, heart, soul, and strength to be ever-increasing, an ever-increasing, a right understanding of grace is to understand the nature of your relationship to God, to understand the, the nature of your relationship with God. So what is grace? What is grace? Now, I'm not talking about a general definition of grace, but grace in relation to our relationship to God or with God. And in that sense, grace at its simplest definition is God's goodness, God's favor 
toward those who deserve only punishment. Grace is always about receiving something you didn't deserve, you don't deserve, you didn't earn, nor can you ever earn. To define it any other way would be to no longer be able to call it grace. It's always about receiving something you didn't earn. Now, this ultimately applies, we'll kind of start with a a broad spectrum here, ultimately applies to every good thing, every good thing. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from God, from our Heavenly Father. Every good gift. All good things in this world are given to us by the grace of God. Now, when we say given by grace, this means it is given to us when we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. This is a foundation of understanding grace. Stay with me. This is, I think it's going to have a good payoff for many of you who stay with me to the end. This means it is given to us when we don't deserve it. God does not owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. He's not required to give us any good thing. Not even the breath in our lungs is owed us. Not a single second of our lives did we earn or deserve. It's all God's grace. It's a good thing. God is a good, good God. All good things are given to us freely by the grace of God. I would challenge you, a lot of homework today, I would challenge you whether whether you know God personally or not to take a look at your life. Take five minutes, set a timer, start writing down all the good things that you can think of in your life. It's amazing how full our lives are, how rich our lives are with the things that God has graciously given to us, and how easily we forget, especially in times like this last year we went through. We have been so richly blessed. We have so many things that God has graciously given to us. So when we talk about all good things, though, come from God, or all good things are given to us by God, this is really talking about common grace because that means, this, that means it goes for, for everybody. All mankind have been given good things from God, the breath in their lungs. The Bible says it rains on the, on the wicked and the righteous. Good things God has given to us, every, all, all the, that, everybody who has life in them, it is by the grace of God. It is a good thing, but that is common grace. And there is a special grace For those who have relationship to God, for those who call on Jesus Christ as their Lord, have been given a special grace. If our very breath is a gift of God, if the days of our life are a gift of God's grace that we didn't earn or deserve, how much more our salvation, how much more that we would have eternity with Him. There is no connection to God at all without grace. There is no hope of connection with God without grace. Romans 3, 23 through 24, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not some, all. Nobody is deserving anything. All have, fall, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely. Freely, meaning didn't cost anything for you. By His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
the first and most important truth to understand about grace, to have a right understanding of grace before you can see the effect of understanding this grace, which we'll get to, and the fruit of gratitude and love toward God that it produces in your life. When you understand grace correctly, it produces something. It affects you. We'll get to that in a minute. You must first grasp this fundamental truth. Grace is never earned, but always freely given. And, I mean, you might think, I've heard that before. I know that. Sounds good. Okay, move on. I'm gonna, we're, we're, staying, we're digging in here for a minute because I myself forget this. When we live our lives, when we go through the motions, when we're kind of maybe involved in ministry or, or whatever it might be, or we just kind of get caught up in our lives, we tend to lean away from that. We tend to forget that part. And the truth is, if for even one moment we believe God owes us anything, because we're, well, we're, you know, I mean, they're bad people, but not me. I'm not that bad. I mean, good things should happen to me because I'm a pretty good person. As soon as we think for a moment that God owes us something, we try to make some deal with him, we forfeit the grace he wants to give us because by definition, it can no longer be grace. Romans 11:6. and if by grace, and he's talking about our salvation, if we're saved by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were... Grace would no longer be grace. It's no longer called, you can't call it grace. But it is grace. Now why is this so, so important to grasp? Because I want to see you guys filled with grace. I want to have, see you guys have your life filled with the grace of God. To be able to pray prayers, God, give me your grace for today. Give me your grace for tomorrow, for this exam I have coming up for this job interview. Give me your grace as I talk about you to this person. Give me your grace as I spend Christmas with my family. That can sometimes require extra grace. Give me your grace. But how can we pray these prayers if we lose sight of the foundation of what grace really is by definition? That is God's goodness, His favor shown to you Shown to us when we don't deserve it. So what are we really saying? God, give me your grace. Even though I don't deserve it, I didn't earn it, help me anyway. Meet me where I am and, and give me the strength I need. Give me what I need. Give me your grace. Grace, praying for grace is admitting that you cannot do anything to earn God's help. But you ask for it anyway. Because he's a good father. In fact, the deeper our understanding of our lack of merit, the greater portion of grace we see in our lives. Romans 5, 20 and 21 says, the law was brought in so that, so that the trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I'll actually just stop there. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, what does the law do? What does the law do? The law doesn't make us sinners. We already are sinners. We're born into sin. What does the law do? It shines light on our sin. It shows us our sin. And it really shows us the true nature of our heart in regards to sin. Because we're all sinners. All fall short of the glory of God. But the law shines a light on what our real sin is, which is rebellion against God. It's rebellion against God. See, if I lie, if I steal, if I, 
if I curse, if I lust, if I covet. These actions, these are the actions of a sinner. I do these things because I'm a sinner. But the law, in showing me that God's saying that you shouldn't do that, there's a better way. My way is better than that way. The law tells me that, or when I look at the law, it shines the light on my sin. And so then if I still rebel, what I'm really saying is, God, I hear what you're saying, but who are you to tell me what to do? I know better. I know better. I am the master of my own life. And I will not abide to your ways, your rules. Who are you to tell me what to do? It's our rebellion. It's, this is the true nature of our hearts. This is our rebellion against God to say that we know better. This is the original sin, the original temptation. As the serpent tempted Eve, eat the fruit and you will be like God. You will be like God. Would God then not be just in condemning all who rebel against him? In our rebellion, in our arrogance, in our pride. Now stay with me. I'm not getting sidetracked here. You see, the more you understand your nature, your true nature as a sinner, nobody talk, people aren't talking about that very often, I know. It's like, well, I thought this was going to be an encouraging message. It should be, if you, again, stay with me till the end. The more we become aware of that, your awareness of your sin, what are you, what, what are you really becoming aware of? How much I need to be saved. How far I am away from God. Sometimes I think I'm a good person, but then I really think about it, and the law reminds me and shows me, no, you're not. You need help. You need a Savior. And then what else increases in that awareness? Grace. Grace increases when we become more aware of how far we are from God, how desperate we need Him. The more I am aware that I am a sinner, the more God gives me His grace. So you want grace. I want to have grace. I want to have the strength. I want to have that kind of that hope, that uplifting that comes from the grace of God. Well, you have to understand how much you need God's grace to receive His grace. Do you realize how reliant you are on the grace of God as a Christian? The more we realize it is the grace of God that gives us the strength to do anything for God, the more our faith in His goodness will grow. Our faith grows. And as our faith grows, we position ourselves in a, for a greater portion of His grace in our life. Paul was used mightily by God. I think we could all agree on that when we look at the New Testament. But it was not in his strength, but out of his weakness. Through his faith in Christ, that God gave him a great portion of grace, which was sufficient for all that he needed. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he's, he's been struggling with something. Thor in his flesh, we don't know what that was. He was struggling with it. He asked Jesus to remove it. It was a weakness for him. It was a weakness in his life. A shortcoming. He says, but he said to me, and this is Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul saying, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I will boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Oh, we go the opposite direction most of the time, don't we? We're not boasting in our weakness, relying on Christ for our strength. We want to show all the cool things we've done. We want to demonstrate ourselves to feel like we're superior, to reject God's truth for our own instead of resting, boasting in our weakness. What if we all truly lived out of the sufficiency of the grace we each have been given in the portion we've received it? What if we all lived out of the sufficiency of the grace we each have been given in the portion that we've received it? What if we really lived in that? What if we didn't lie to ourselves saying how we're really not that bad? I mean, we're mostly good. What if we didn't try to only demonstrate our strength to put on the right face? What if we were authentic? What if we were real? Not just with ourselves, but with each other. What if we owned our weakness so that Christ's strength and power would be perfected in us? What then? What then could Christ do through you if we stopped trying so hard to rest in our own strength and instead rested in Christ? You see, God's grace is His strength made strong in our weakness. It's his righteousness made perfect out of our sinfulness through Christ. That while we were sinners, Christ died for you. And he bought you at a great price. He paid for you. You are now his. And you have no hope to pay back that debt. And that's good news. Because you don't have to. And he doesn't want to. In fact, the more you realize he doesn't want you to, the greater portion of grace you receive. To receive the full portion of grace freely given, one must simply accept their own inability to save themselves. But what does that mean? Because if you say it like that, it sounds like, uh, should I just then not do anything for God? Or maybe it would be then counted as trying to work for myself. Of course, on the contrary. You see, with a deeper understanding of God's favor and love expressed toward you through His grace, meaning the gift you did not merit or deserve, this produces faith, meaning a firm belief in the grace that you've received. And out of, these, out of this, there's only one true, genuine response, which is thankfulness toward God. And what does thankfulness produce? Joy. Gratitude produces joy. So then we're excited again to serve and we're excited to read our Bible. We're excited to spend time in prayer. It all comes back to this foundation. And it should be something that is not just we, something we know, something that we kind of have an idea of, but something we identify with down to our very core of who we are. Therefore, 
be defined by God's grace. Be defined by God's grace. And then the fruit, the works, will flow from you. That's what we'll be looking at again in the coming weeks. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. It affected him. It changed him. It molded him. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So he identifies even the very who I am is from grace. And it affected me. It changed me. And it produced a fruit in my life which God was also giving me the grace to accomplish. We are who we are because of grace. Not because of how hard we worked in our life or because we really buckled down and and, and kind of made something. Everything is by grace. If every breath you take is by grace, certainly there's nothing we can attribute solely to ourselves. And the more you understand that, the greater portion of grace God will give us. We don't work hard because, or we don't, we don't, we're not who we are because of how hard we work. Instead, we work hard because of the grace we've received and our right understanding of it. How does our understanding of grace become a powerful tool then in our life? Well, when we understand grace, we understand our own lack of merit. And this produces, again, thankfulness. And when we're truly thankful to God because we know what he's really done for us and how we have been given so great a gift freely without any cost to ourselves, this will motivate, impassion, ignite us, move us to love him more. To give us that strength to read the Bible when we're tired, we had a long week, we had a long day. Ah, but man, every, everything I did today, everything I accomplished, it was all by His grace. Oh, I just want to spend time with Him. Oh, I just want to spend time in prayer with Him. When we truly understand that. And again, some of you are like, I know that. Man, I've, I've knew for my life, I have to be reminded of it again and again and again, of my great need for Christ. And I think for some of you here today, this is really maybe sinking in. Maybe it's something, maybe it's something for the first time, it's kind of a revelation. And for some of you, it's not sinking in at all. That's the truth of it. Grace is like that. But when we do finally grasp the true nature and understand grace and God's love for us, despite our complete lack of merit, the depth of love that you have for him will grow and grow and grow as you go deeper in understanding that. And then it pours out of us. See, by grace we are filled, and through grace we are poured out. By grace we are filled, and through grace we are poured out. I'm reminded of the parable of the servant who was forgiven a great debt, And yet, he goes to somebody who owes him just a little bit of money and treats him harshly and has him thrown in prison. What a fool. 
We do this. We do this to ourselves. We do this to each other. Don't be like this. Never forget the grace God has shown you. And as you truly grasp that, it will become a great tool in your life, something you can always go back to, something you can always just reignite your passion for him with. This will build your faith, fill you with excitement, ignite you with passion to love him and to serve him and others with a full and fierce heart. To pray again prayers of God, increase, increase your grace in my life with a full knowledge of what you're really asking. God, I know I'm not enough. I know I don't have what it takes in myself. I know I don't deserve your help, but I'm asking you anyway. Because I know who you are. You are a good, good father. You're not my boss. God's not our boss. It's not if you do this, then I'll give you that. It's not some exchange of goods. He's our father. We can pray to him, give us your grace. I don't deserve it, but give it to me anyway. Because I am your son. Because I am your daughter. Lord, increase your grace in my life. God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from you. He only has grace to give you. So learn to receive his grace. Learn to receive his love. That sounds easy, but man, that's sometimes that's the, that's the hardest part, I think, about Christianity, is really grasping and learning how to receive from God. Because we always want to go back to, okay, well, all right, if I, if I want God to help me with this, then I have to do this and this and this and this. You have to learn how to receive from God. And when you do, then everything that comes out of that has so much more power. Learn to receive God's love, his favor that he shows you. As somebody who has kids, I can tell you, my kids are not always lovable, but I always love them. And they, that's how God loves us. He loves us, and I'm, I'm not a perfect parent, and I can only imagine the depth of love I have for my kids is, is so deep and when I think that God is a million times deeper than that, it's, it almost moves me to tears. He's a good, good father. Ask him for his grace in your life and learn how to receive that love and that grace that he has for you. And again, I'll encourage you again with homework assignment. Take time this week. Maybe evaluate what is the foundation of your life. What is your understanding of grace? What is your orient with God? Are you in a right place, a good foundation? And take time this week to think about all of the good things that God has done for you. Let it fill you with joy. Learn to just receive those things. I receive all these great gifts you've given me. Thank you. And let that gratitude build your faith and fill you so that you may be poured out on others. And let's go into this next year with our eyes open, with our eyes fixed above us, looking to where our strength comes from. Not us, but Him. Let us own our weaknesses so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we walk with Him through the in the name of Jesus Christ, we may be perfected. I invite the band to come back up as we close. And I'll pray. Father,
You are a good, good Father. We thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much for your grace that you've given to us, shown us in every breath we take, in all the good things you've given us, and above all in our salvation, that you would die for us, that you would pay the price, the penalty for our sin, that we may eternally spend spend eternity with you, being loved by you, enjoying your peace and joy forever. I pray, Father, that this foundation of grace and a right understanding would stick with all of us, that it would be a tool that we can use to reignite our passion and our love for you every day of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.